Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here, and I appreciate all that you're doing to share this podcast and to get people aware of it. We have reached our 5,000 downloads, and I can't be more grateful to all of our listeners and our guests. You guys are the ones that really made this happen. I provided the format, and you are showing up to be guests, and you're sharing, and you're subscribing, and those of you who are listening every week and giving comments, keep us motivated and keep us going. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so very, very much. So last week I talked about the Wild Goose Festival, and I want to give you just a short little snippet of something that may show up later on one of the Gay With God podcasts, because I just found out some new information about the very last session that I went to at the Goose, and that was the sermon on Sunday morning. I'm going to probably do a podcast about this soon, but just to drop a little hint, uh, there was an amazing sermon that was done at Wild Goose the last day of the festival. And this person, Diana Butler Bass, was amazing. And she gave this sermon about whether or not Mary Magdalene was actually the person who was able to name Jesus after his ascension. Research has been done on the papyrus number 76, and the information is fascinating. And that it was somehow manipulated in order to make one Mary look like it was Martha, when really it was Mary. So this is a whole big thing. You can probably Google it, but I'm so excited about it. I will probably need to do a whole podcast about it. But today I wanted to share a little bit of my memoir with you guys. You know, I'm doing that every once in a while, just to one, keep you interested in the memoir that I hope to publish next year. And also um, just to give back, to give you a little bit of snippets so that um, when you buy the book, <clears throat> when you buy the book, <laughs> Um, you will know a little bit about what's going on in the book and where I'm coming from. So today, uh, the title of this part of the memoir is called India, the Land of Contrast, Dysentery and Homesickness. Now, I've already talked to you a little bit about my belief that going to India was a way for me to connect with God and to make sure that I went to heaven. So I had that plan through all of my childhood. I had that plan through all of high school. Pretty much I, I put all of my eggs in the same basket. This was what I was going to do. This section of the memoir talks about me actually being in India and what that was like for me. It picks up where I had just completed the two horrific weeks in Florida at the Lord's boot camp. And I had a choice. I had a choice whether or not excuse me, whether or not to go to India and continue my mission or to go home. A commitment ceremony was done at the big tent 
at the Lord's boot camp. We were given a candle, and if we decided to go on the mission, we would light our candle when a lit candle was passed to us. And if we decided that we were done and we did not want to continue to go forward, we would leave our candle unlit. My parents actually showed up for this, (laughs) which was amazing. They were definitely worried about my physical health. They were worried about, you know, the whole mission to begin with. So uh, when they realized that I'd been injured and I had not been allowed to go to a dentist and they realized that I was in trouble, they came up basically to bring me home and they came to bring um, with some of the other uh, couples at the church whose daughter who was not really able to go on this trip and they were trying to get her to go to build her self-confidence and to see if she could handle it. And she could not handle the two weeks in Florida and she really didn't want to go to India. And so they had come up to get her and my parents had come along with them to get me. So here we go. I knew my parents were disappointed that they had driven all the way to Florida to get me. I chose not to go home with them. I'm actually impressed with them that they did not try to talk me out of it and allowed me to make that decision for myself. I was also proud of myself for not giving in to the panic of all the future uncertainties. I realized that I was still very excited to continue this mission. I also thought about all the people who had sponsored me, and I value following through with my commitments and promises. So I took the lit candle that was given to me and lit my candle, making my choice to continue my journey. The next step was to load all of our gear into the school bus that would take us to the airport. Each team member would carry a 60 pound duffel bag filled with our personal items and canned goods. Now we had to take all of the food with us to eat because there was not enough provisions in India for a whole team of people. And so we were responsible for packing in our own food and we were responsible for carrying it. So including our leaders, we were a 45 person team that made the school bus ride from Florida to LaGuardia airport in New York city, hot squished and highly uncomfortable. The bus was not air conditioned. It did not have great shocks and the seats were benches. They did not have good cushions like an Airstream bus. This was a school bus. Riding in that bus hands down is one of the top five experiences I dislike the most about the mission trip. Once we got to the airport, we unloaded our gear and traipsed through the lobby in a mass of oddness. We girls were required to wear a dress. I had brought a knee-length light-colored dress, and my friend's mom, who had taken me to the Pentecostal church, had made me a long brown cotton dress. When I thought of wearing the knee-length dress with my combat boots, I was thankful I had an option to cover up my boots because it really looked better with the longer dress than it did with that short blue dress. That did not really stop me, along with my peers, from getting a lot of stares and giggles as we walked to our gate. The boys, of course, were in jeans. They didn't get the same stares that we did. Today, wearing combat boots and all sorts of different attire is accepted. But back in the 70s, it wasn't really a thing yet. I had never flown in an airplane. I was a little nervous. We boarded the plane and I found my seat. I stored my carry-on and sat down, strapped in. (laughs) 
and felt, you know, really, really nervous. And then I felt a familiar sensation. I knew I had restarted my period. I got out of my seat and made my way to the bathroom. I was in the middle of washing off my dress when I felt like I was going to pass out. I was hot. Everything around me was shaking. I I felt like I was woozy and I almost lost my balance. That is when I saw a flashing sign next to the bathroom mirror, return to your seat. And then I realized, oh my God, we are taking off. I dried off as well as I could. And as I hurried down the aisle, I realized that we were literally taxiing down the runway. I quickly got into my seat, buckled up again, and the plane rose off the runway. I experienced a deep sense of gratitude for getting back to my seat in time. I also felt a sense of dread for having my period start up again because I was headed to India for two months. Looking back now, I realize that there was very little faith being practiced on my part during this time in my younger years. Every part of my life had, to this point, been part of my need to be loved by God, me approving myself in things I did, and doing the things myself without relying on others to do it for me. Instead of being able to prayerfully talk to God about what I was going through, my prayer time was really exclaiming, oh my God, when things went wrong. I was about to face the most challenging time of my life. Old issues would return. Homesickness, resentment, unworthiness. India would become my training ground for a lifetime of seeking what I wanted to find. We were lucky to have a layover in Rome, a full day and a half to tour the Colosseum, the streets of Rome, and shop. I bought a pair of sandals that allowed my feet to breathe so I didn't have to wear my combat boots while sightseeing. It was a wonderful change from Florida. The weather was awesome. I had a shower and an inside bathroom. I was able to begin feeling a bit more human. Sleeping in bed instead of a tent was awesome. And as you can imagine, the one and a half days was not long enough. Back on the plane, we headed to New Delhi. The airport was hot muggy and had lizards crawling on the walls. Armed guards were standing on platforms above the lobby. We were told to not make eye contact with the guards and we were quickly ushered through the lobby. From there, we boarded a plane on the tarmac for our last journey to Madras, India. This plane was so small. (laughs) We had to walk down the aisle, hunched over and step over a hump in the middle of the floor to get to our seats. The hump, I was told later, was actually the landing gear. The seats were so close together, it was as if we were all sitting in the same seat. The air conditioning was not working, and our bodies were crammed together. I was so ready to be anywhere other than on that plane. My wish was granted. As the flight was not very long, we shortly landed in Madras. We loaded a work bus that took us to the compound. If you've ever seen the movie Eat, Pray, Love... The scene of her traveling through the streets of India are not an exaggeration. It was fast, furious, terrifying, loud, and a mix of deep ugliness and beauty. Beggars with missing limbs, oozing sores, and blind eyes crammed up against your bus to show that their wounds were real and to try to get money. Horns are honking. Cars pass in the middle of two vehicles. And I don't think any vehicle had brakes. The drivers just honked and went. If they did have brakes, 
they most certainly never wore out. <laughs> India is definitely well named the land of contrast. On our way to work each morning, we passed an open plot of land with pathways coming from the grass huts into the center. People would squat down in the field. Our leaders told us that we were passing the bathroom field. Yes, the villagers would walk from their huts to the field, squat down and use the bathroom right there as we were passing by. We were also told that we should never wave to anyone with our left hand because that was their bathroom hand and it was disrespectful. I know, right? Next to a very poor section of town would be a tall building with air conditioning and inside toilets. And right next to that was such extreme poverty that people were actually going to the bathroom in the field. We finally made it to the compound, and my life in India began with a welcoming by leaders of the Church of Palavakam with our missionaries interpreting their Tamil language. Our days would be structured with morning devotions and then off to the work site. We worked all day, came back to the campground, campground, the compound, cleaned up, and then had a late afternoon class, Bible study, supper, and then lights out. On the weekend, we would travel to different churches in the surrounding villages. They always had a huge celebration to honor us for our service. Sometimes we would go into town to shop and see some sights. We went to the Hindu temples and the Taj Mahal. I missed the outing to the mountain of St. Thomas because I was in sickbay. The first morning, we rode our open-air bus to the work site. We noticed piles of bricks on a flat plot of land. It was sandy, full of weeds, and treeless. The bricks at the front of the plot that would be used for the footers, we were told, needed to be at the back of the lot. The church would be 30 by 70, made of concrete blocks, a tin roof, and a concrete floor. We had to dig a bathroom pit first that, surround, that we surrounded with branches tied together for walls to surround the pit so that we could have privacy. <laughs> Often we had to shoo away a, a huge lizard that liked to hang out on the bricks and surrounding the hole. I never wanted to go too far into realizing why he was there. To stay hydrated safely throughout the workday, we had helpers on the site who boiled water for seven to 10 hours to make it pure. They did this overnight to keep us from getting sick. Each morning we filled up our water bottles with smoky tasting warm water. Not really refreshing, but very much appreciated. Our next job was to move all the bricks that were delivered to that site from the front of the plot to the back. To do this, we formed lines and tossed the bricks to each other. This went about as well as you could expect. <laughs> Sounds of ow and hold up rang out as a toss happened before the receiver was ready. Once that was done, we were handed a tool that had a shovel blade on the end and the handle that was turned so that when you held it and hunched over, the blade went into the dirt and the handle was towards your face. This was going to be used to dig the 30 by 70 foot footers for the church. I couldn't believe that a machine of some kind was not coming to do that. We learned quickly that there were three ways things would be done in India. The right way, the wrong way, and the India way. 
right or wrong, the India way was preferred by those who were in charge of our building site. Our first delivery came in the form of oxen, pulling a flatbed trailer of sand, rocks, and concrete bags. Those were unloaded, and we realized that we would be making our own concrete for the floors. We had a team of four guys who would mix the concrete and dump some into metal bowls. The rest of us would lift the concrete-filled bowls, walk to the building, and dump it to make a concrete floor. Yes, it was a slow and tedious job. We did, however, complete that part of the building of the floor within one day. I can say the leaders of our team were very experienced and did a great job of teaching us the different parts required to build the church. What they couldn't change is the poverty that surrounded us or the tools that we used. Our scaffolding, comprised of pieces of thin wooden branches tied together with twine, they placed a board from end to end for us to stand on. Getting on the swaying frame was hard enough, but then hauling a cinder block to complete a wall was dangerous and scary. As careful as we had been, all of us at one time or another dealt with dysentery. I tried to make sure that I never ate anything from shops in town that were not wrapped in American wrappings, which they said would help us not get sick. However, with my menstrual issues and how physically run down we all were, when I got sick, I got really sick. My temperature was so hot that I felt the heat radiating through my jeans. Our bathroom option at the compound was a little bit upgraded from the building side. It was actually a building. It had walls. Inside were three stalls with a little porcelain hole on the floor that you would squat over. And there were doors available on the stalls, but the, the walls of the stalls did not go all the way down to the floor. So there wasn't like complete privacy of sound. And so if you needed to go to the bathroom and at one time we, there was a line and we were all very, you know, anxious to get in there because we had dysentery. But if you were talking to someone in line waiting to go in and two spots opened up, but you went ahead and went in with whoever you were with. If you were in line with a guy, it didn't matter. Modesty and dysentery do not go hand in hand. I was finally told that if I didn't go back to work after being in sick bay for a couple of weeks, I would be taken to an Indian doctor. The tone used was a cautionary tone and it scared me. I didn't want that. So I was sent back to work, still with menstrual bleeding and dysentery. Of all the jobs that they assigned me that day, I was to block the wall, which included climbing the scaffolding and laying the cinder block wall. I was up and down multiple times in between laying and laying a block and running to the bathroom, shooing away the lizards so I could get <laughs> there and return to my job. The leader finally realized that I couldn't get enough done and sent me to measure and cut wood for another project that would at least be on the ground floor. And when I needed to go to the bathroom, I could get there quickly. There were times that I didn't understand the lack of compassion from the leaders. I fought them every day to stop the pills I knew were causing the, this menstrual cycle. They would not allow it because it had been ordered by a doctor to take that medication. I had already gone through all of my tampons and was getting desperate. The girls on my team had already donated their extras and I was forced to start buying the India ver version of tampons. I will spare you the truth of how bad that was. 
my mom had written that she would try to get some to me, but was not sure how to make that happen. Every night I dreamed the same dream that I was at the beginning of a long tunnel. I could see my parents and siblings at the other end, beckoning me to come home. I was so homesick that I ran through the tunnel crying and laughing, so grateful that my journey was over. And when I got to the end of the tunnel, I realized that my job wasn't over and I had to go back or I would let everyone down. I cried all the way back through the tunnel and then I would wake up in India the next morning. I began to realize that I may never be able to be a missionary and wondered if I had really been called to do this or was this just my idea of that way I could please God. As the work days in 110 degree heat seemed to go on forever, seeing the progress in the building, meeting people from other churches in the surrounding villages was always heartwarming. Those experiences kept me motivated and validated my belief that I really do need to be here. But the homesickness and my own body concerns kept me in a very sad state most of the time. I was also feeling that the call I had was probably the wrong number. And I asked God to redial. I was losing hope that I really was in the right place. The missionaries on the compound were kind enough to talk with me several times and assured me that this would not impede my ability to do mission work. They also reminded me that mission work is not always in a foreign country, and I could be very useful at home if working out of the country was not for me. They were empathetic that if I was really called by God to do this work, I would not be able to stop thinking about it or wanting it. On another note, the missionaries agreed with my leaders and were not comfortable with me stopping my medication without the consent of my doctor, which of course was not possible. My mom rallied by sending the director of missions to India with 500 tampons in sealed boxes. She had found out he was planning to visit us and he agreed to carry the care package with him. He apparently knew what he was carrying because when he handed it to me, he said, it would be best if you open this privately. <laughs> of course, all the other kids wanted to know what I got and they were hoping it was going to be really cool snacks. <laughs> I had nothing to share. <laughs> By the time he finally arrived, I had been using the dreaded India version of a tampon. I had also decided by then that I would stop the medication without telling anyone because I was sure I was bleeding to death. Probably dramatic and not true, but it was my truth at the time. I was really desperate. So by the time I received 500 tampons, my menstrual cycle was over. I was still grateful that my mom had come through for me, and I also was grateful that I would have enough provisions if the period restarted or if the other girls needed tampons that they had given me. The India trip was a lifetime experience that has been so valuable to me. I learned that I am stronger and more athletic than I thought I would ever be. Although the slew of despond nailed me the first go around, I successfully completed the course every day of the week after that once I had been cleared to run the course again. I was not always graceful running it, but I did it. I battled through the worst homesickness I have ever experienced and made it through the entire mission. I learned that I can be useful and I'm actually good at laying blocks. 
I always look back on that experience with good and bad memories, but the best memory of all was the very last day on our work site. We were blessing the building in a church service for the congregation. I stood outside the building and looked up at the sky. The sun was shining through the clouds on a deep blue sky, and I knew and I could feel that God was pleased. When our team finally arrived home, dressed in our saris, we were greeted by our families. My brother had made a special sign that showed me traveling to India and back, complete with the Taj Mahal and airplanes. We did a little song we had made up for the group that was assembled, and then we all scattered to return to our homes. For me, I was returning to figure out what I was called to do for the rest of my life. If I was not called to the mission field, what was I called to do? And would I attend Berkshire Christian College without a major in mind? So that trip was so integral in my faith journey because it was my way to try to get validation from God. With all of the church's messages that I could not be gay and Christian, even though I didn't know when I was young that I was gay, I knew that I was different and I knew that there was something that would probably hold me back from being in God's favor. And I believed that the only way to be able to be in God's favor would be to do some sort of holy work. (laughs) To me, that was the mission field. And now I understand that holy work is any work that you do with the love of Christ within you. So if I am doing mission work and I'm ticked off the whole time I'm there and angry and resentful of the people there, I'm not doing holy work. I may be faking that I'm doing holy work, but I don't believe that it really counts if I'm begrudging every move I make. I do believe God uses us even when we're not 100% in. And I think that we can be used better when we do come with the right attitude and a loving heart. I remember I used to tell the kids that I worked with when I was a licensed professional counselor that if they're doing chores and they're grumbling the whole time, even though they're getting it done, They're wasting a whole lot of energy with that negative attitude, and they're not really showing how much they love their family by doing the job. It's that, you know, they're just getting it done to stay out of trouble. Well, that's what I was doing. I was not really wanting to be in India building a church, but I was doing it to stay out of trouble with God. I was looking for God's favor instead of going with a joyful, happy heart and doing the job because I wanted to show Christ's love through my work. I was also fulfilling my high moral obligation to follow through with something I had promised to do. I didn't want to disappoint people. I'm a people pleaser, and it really bothered me that I would be letting someone else down. So now I understand that whether I ever go to India to do a mission trip again, or whether I stay in the United States, we all know that right now in the United States, at the taping of this podcast, there's a lot of mission work to be done here. There's a lot going on. And me showing up every day with an attitude that is Christ-like is a mission in itself. And sometimes I'm on a good mission and sometimes I'm not, but I'm doing my best 
to show up with God's light and love that's inside of me and do what I am called to do. And that is to love my neighbor, love myself and love God. And that some days is just the biggest job ever. So if you're looking through your coming out faith journey to please God, if you, if you are loving God, even if you're doubting how God can love you, if you're showing up every day with your best loving spirit, you are already in God's favor. Even when we're angry at God and we're making mistakes and we're not always showing up loving, guess what? We are still God's beloveds. God still loves us. And even when we're confused and even when we're angry, we are still God's beloved. And people, <laughs> that is a journey I take every day to remind myself of that. And sometimes I believe it and sometimes I still struggle. But to believe that we are God's beloveds, to believe that wherever we come from, whatever we've been through, wherever we're going to go in the future, we have been and are loved by God. And when we mess up, he is right there trying to guide us back through the Holy Spirit, through the gospels, through the light in other people. I hope that as you continue to go on your coming out faith journey, that you will give yourself some grace and be in the moment of becoming I loved that book that Michelle Obama titled Becoming because we all are becoming. We are never going to be finished until we get to heaven or until heaven comes here or however that's ever going to work out. We are always becoming. There's always something new to learn. And that's why I started this podcast with that cool, the Mary's sermon, because we're always learning. We think the Bible is the beginning and the end of everything. There is stuff that we don't even know about that Bible. There are things that are in there that have been manipulated by people. You know, it is something that we really rely on as Christians, but we cannot deceive ourselves that there are not surprises and there are not going to be more surprises because you still haven't told me who made God. So we don't know everything. We don't know how all this came about, but my faith that I continue to be pulled back into assures me that if I stay faithful, if I stay loving, it will all be revealed to me in all good timing. And I just have to live the, with the mystery. And that irritates me. <laughs> but it is what it is. It irritates me, but it is what it is. So my beloveds, my my listeners, who, by the way, got us to 5,000 downloads. Thank you so, so much. I know I said it at the beginning of the podcast, but I just wanted to come back full circle and say it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We now have 5,000 downloads of the Gay With God podcast out there being listened by people. And I hope that you are feeling the love from this podcast to you. And I hope that you feel the love from me to you for all of your sharing and supporting and subscribing to the Gay With God podcast. Please continue to tell people about the podcast. Please continue to do the sharing and supporting. And please, if you are if you are willing to go to Apple Podcasts and do a review, I would greatly appreciate it. 
And don't forget to sign up to be a guest. We need you. I need you. And I want to honor your coming out faith journey story wherever that landed for you. If you want more information about me and you want to stay updated with uh, the memoir, uh, please find me on Facebook. Go to my links. There will be information available as I get closer. Right now, if you go to the uh, show page, empoweredmidge.podbean.com, that's where I'm kind of keeping track of, you know, the dates of when I might be able to get it published. The uh, book cover that you see is one that I just designed myself as a quickie so that I could see it and continue to motivate myself to finish. <laughs> that is not the, the exact cover and the subtitle may not be the exact subtitle, but Gay with God is the memoir, and it will be coming out hopefully next year. And you can find that at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. So if you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically LGBTQIA, you have always been, even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community. And check out the Facebook group, Gay With God. I have a monthly Faith Journey Zoom group going there, and you are welcome to join us. Please remember that if you join the Gay With God Facebook group, answer all the questions so that you can be seen on the inside. And if you need a little coaching support to get you through your coming out faith journey, Go to my show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. Thank you, everybody. Love you. See you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.